All right, welcome to Faith FM. This is the Brecky Show. Uh, you may be aware that we've had some technical difficulties, but this morning you are with Minnie and Renee. Absolutely. So we're sorry for dropping out, as we said, technical difficulties. Mm-hmm. Gotta love technology when it's working for you, and when it's not, it's a bit of a stitch up. So we're going to skip through what our beginning kind of normally is. We're mm-hmm. just saying hello, we're here, we're glad <laughs> you've joined us, and we're just going to straight straight. Jump straight into, Renee, give us some good news stories. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so um, many of us remember the Black Summer that happened, uh, was it? It was the beginning of 2020, right? The mm. uh, fires that happened all or- all across Australia. And um, during that time, one of the biggest stories was that there was a lot of money and donations coming in mm. um, because a certain comedian uh, set up a uh, donations page or something like that. And then people just really, people really just opened up and all around the world were really generous. Um, and the donations equaled up to, uh, amounted up to about $640 million. And, um, that's pretty solid. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And this money was donated to help the fire services, I believe. Oh, yes. Um, but what was, what's, really cool is that this money you know they there was a push for that money to go to the people who lost a lot like lost their homes lost their jobs lost their livestock um these people had you know lost in the fire so um these the goal was that they wanted to get this money this 640 million dollars getting it to those who needed it the most Mm. so the sheer scale of the bushfires scarred so much of the country's east coast as a year ago. It shocked millions around the world. But um, the amount of money that was, you know, from celebrities to philanthropists um, to corporations to ordinary people, um, Australia ra- rallied in their millions to help. And they created a challenge like no other. How to get this enormous sum of $640 million raised to the people who need it the most. Mm. So... Um, what happened was the St. Vincent's de Paul volunteers alone conducted 12,000 face-to-face interviews with applicants, many in harrowing conditions to determine who was eligible for the federal government's, government's hardship payment of $1,000. So today, hundreds of volunteers are still helping to rebuild the lives as well as homes among the charred debris of stricken communities. So, the thing, the thing that made this even this more more of a challenge of getting this money, getting um, donations, or however that you know maybe it be hampers or um, you know building materials, whatever the help was needed, they needed pe- they need to get people to these areas that were affected by the fires. However, because of the border closures and the COVID restrictions, mm. um, that made the it, it a bit more of a challenge. Um, the St. Vincent de Paul uh, chief executive, Toby O'Connor, said that it had been a huge challenge for Vinnie's volunteers to reach people, especially because most of the volunteers were over 50 years old. So, but, uh, you know, they were they were older. Um, they are more prone. They're more um, vulnerable to getting the virus uh, COVID compared to someone who might be younger and a bit more healthy i guess um so that was also a big challenge Mm. however they were they managed to you know when things calmed down a bit they managed to still get their get the uh, folks out there to help out um every dollar every dollar uh, mr connor says every dollar donated has gone 100 percent to those in need um in terms of the money donated to their 
institution. Um, all major charities reported administration costs of 5% or less, much lower than the level regarded by acceptable uh, regulations. Um, there's a story that talks about a farmer, farmer Rick Anderson. He said that people came from everywhere to help. And during the times where it was hard to get help from volunteers um, and where he hadn't received help from the government yet because the process of all the interviewing and all that was still going on and he couldn't exactly just pause and wait for that all to settle. He had to do something. Mm. He said that he was... Um, he he decided to rebuild and he managed to do it with the unprecedented help from volunteers. So he and his wife, Bev, are now in their new home after their old one was destroyed in the Palmer's Oaky fire near Mudgee in New South Wales. The fire burned for almost two months, destroyed 12 homes and burnt 17,400 hectares of private property, the State Forest and National Park. Mm, massive wow. damages. Massive. Yeah. Mr. Anderson said that the Red Cross St. Vincent de Paul and the Salvation Army all these charities all provided money for the materials he needed. So this was cool. The charities gave uh, donated money. He said that the local Seventh Day Adventist Church raised money for the for the building Giprock and installed it. So for the building, while the lo- local Lions Club provided all the white goods. And then he said other local businesses generously offered what they could, including Mitre Ten, which donated all the roof, blanket, and insulation. So the charities donated the money that. They they would need the local church um, provided materials for building as well as the local lions as well as the mitre 10 business provided materials what they needed um, he said an electrical firm donated wiring switches and fans a building from orange donated um skirting boards people came from everywhere the local community helped with the construction including one builder who came late at night in a storm to assess the job by torchlight. Wow. Whilst Mr. Anderson says he feels fortunate, he's worried that many others affected by the fire are still in temporary accommodation waiting on insurance companies to pay out. Um, this article goes on to say that it goes through the numbers. It has all the graphs. It says that more than 3,800 homes were damaged. However, but up to date, 4,900 burnt properties have been cleared using Commonwealth money. So, it's just a really good, um, really good thing to see that the money that has been donated is going to help those in need. And although they're facing a bit of challenges to getting, uh, getting their donations out there, they there are people who are coming just like this man, Mr. Anderson said that people are coming from everywhere to help out, whether it be from charities, from the local church, from local businesses, people are coming together to help out. So I think that's a really good thing. Good to hear. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Alrighty. So we're going to move on to uh, some news stories. Mm. So we have a study and it's looking at the fact that from this study, um, Smoking kills half of all Indigenous Australians over 45. Wow. Which is a pretty significant amount, really. Like, that's nearly 50%. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so basically they're just finding that um, Indigenous Australians are dying of tobacco-related illness and disease at almost twice the rate than was previously thought. Um, Specifically, yeah, as I said, over 45 years old. And they concede... The experts concede this is, in fact, a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Yes, we, I can care. Uh, yeah, so they said about 37% of all deaths among Indigenous Australians are caused by smoking. Um, in this study that was led by the researchers at the Australian National University, it was published in the International Journey, uh, Journal sorry, of 
epidemiology, demiology, whatever that mm. is. And it's the first of its kind to provide specific data about their indigenous population. Um, research follow researchers followed um, 1,388 people, including past and current smokers and those who have never smoked, over 10 years and tracked their health outcomes, which is a pretty good amount of time. Like this is actually being able to gauge, you know, hmm. how things change and how your health kind of deteriorates or improves or, you know, whatever. Hmm. They found people who had never smoked lived an average of 10 years longer than those who were currently smoking. Those who quit smoking before the age of 45 had a mortality risk similar to that of people who had never smoked, which is still pretty interesting. Mm. Like have never smoked, also used to, but gave up similar rates mm-hmm. of um, of death, you know, within whatever time period. And half of, half that of people who quit between 45 and 54. Huh. So of those, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, even those who smoked one cigarette a day were found to dramatically increase their risk of dying. Wow. So ANU professor and co- study co-author Raymond Levitt, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, uh, Man. if I said that wrong, you can correct me. We all need to be taught some things. Uh, but he said that the sheer number of Indigenous people impacted was a bit of a shock um, and higher than what they had previously thought. Uh, smoking is also known to be a leading preventable cause of ill health and early death among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Mm. Professor Lovett said the percentage of people found to have died previously um, from smoking-related causes was around 20%. So they knew that there was, you know, a factor. Mm. But they said that their research is showing that it's almost doubling what we thought the risk was. The number of Indigenous Australians who smoke cigarettes has dropped from 50 to 40 0.2% 0.2% between 2004 and 2019. So that's, you know, a few years over there, that period. And it, that's a big shift compared to the previous decade when there was no change in smoking rates mm. at all that were detected. Uh, but despite this, Professor Lovett had said that smoking has still contributed to more than 10,000 deaths in the last decade. Uh, Chanel Webb, uh, we're a jury woman she says she knows it all too well. In the last five years, she has lost one of her aunties who has been smoking for about five decades. Wow. And I think this often is where it hits home yeah. when it does affect someone you personally know. And, you yeah. know, you can pick any anything for that, you know, any illness or, you know, circumstance where you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's something other people are dealing with. But mm. when it kind of affects you, it, yeah, it just yeah. hits a bit harder. Especially something that can be prevented, like preventable mm. or it can be. Yeah. They just need, like, yeah, there's just oh, so much to that. Yeah. So Miss Webb works at a Winungjung. Oh, my days. I'm so sorry, guys. Forgive me. But a Winunga Nimitya Aboriginal Health Centre where she supports people who are attempting to quit. As you said, man, quitting is hard. Yeah. Um, growing up with so many people around me smoking, I want to work in health promotion, she said. I want to get out into the community and I want to pass on the message to, she, she said, adding... Oh, adding that she wants to help other other families break the cycle of taboo. Our mm-hmm. people are fierce. We are strong. Don't let take uh, smoking take your life. Um, so yeah, the article kind of goes on to mention a bit more about this, and obviously it's yeah, it's really important I think to understand the impact that these things can have. Yeah, yeah. I mean obviously it's no good even if it was only like a few people. Mm. We don't want that, but I think. 
I think it's like anything. When you realize how significant the impact actually is, you start to take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it was serious before then, you know, you don't want anyone yeah, to be. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like when this video, you're like, oh, it's bad, but it's not that bad. And then you kind of realize you're like, oh. Yeah. What? It has such weight. Yeah. And I think the other question too is what does it look like to change? Like I think mm. as humans, it's very – I think I've said this before. It's very naive of us to think that we make – good i'll call it changes just with the right information no. i can have the right information no. i can know i need to go to bed early and I, you know like you can know better but not do better yeah yeah but we need systems in place to help us get to the place that we want to be you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different okay it is now come time for our interview of the day it is wednesday which means we have david helped on the line uh welcome david good morning Minnie, and good morning to your listeners good to be back with you people Oh, it's always good. So if you guys tuned in with us last week, you would know that David and I and Renee were speaking a little bit about conflict. So um, do you just want to give us a bit of a recap, David, of some maybe of the highlight points that we spoke of that people might want to just get a refresher on? Sure. Last week I um, I mentioned that we are primarily all of us are sometime in our life in conflict. Mm. The degree to which we're in conflict is sometimes varies. But what was very interesting is to look at what sparks that conflict. Um, in other words, what are the triggers? We are all maybe different and with different desires, different needs. What forms the fuel, though, in those difference with different tastes, different desires, is the fact that we are eye-centered, eye-focused, and we, we always look out for ourselves, and that leads to the full explosiveness of fire. Uh, just half a word or even just an eyebrow can already trigger that, uh, that conflict within us. And I mentioned last week that... Um, uh, conflict actually decimates the power of a Christian because it is Christians especially that are so much involved in conflict that the world out there looks at them and says, if that is what Christianity is all about, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm. And I ended off with a point last week that conflict actually can have positives in there. Namely, and I mentioned one of them, and that was to look to the interest of other people. In other words, to look at things from from their perspective. Um, it, it's an opportunity, uh, in actual fact, to build relationships. Renee uh, and, and many um, conflict in marital or intimate relationships. Uh, while it is destructive, actually says that people engage in conflict because they actually want to sort things out. Hmm. So conflict by itself is not necessarily um, bad. It is the way in which we do conflict that is bad. Yeah, so it's kind of the way we do it that can either help have the hard conversations that will build a relationship or that kind of make it messy and can tear it apart a bit. Exactly. And, you know, the way that we normally enter into a conflict relationship is, is quite interesting. On the one hand, we so often, when conflict arises, have people that try to run away from it. So the way that we do it is uh, often that we deny that it exists. So we pretend as if the conflict doesn't exist or we refuse to to do what you should do to uh, resolve it properly. Um, 
If that then escalates, we go into a flight mode. And I would suggest that the worst case scenario in that regard would be suicide, where we eventually go into suicide to escape the uh, unhealthiness of a conflict situation. It w- we we run away from the person with whom we have conflict. In other words, flight is more than escape. It is actually avoiding facing the problem. Um, it never resolves the problem. It uh, the problem still exists. We never work towards um, mending that relationship and building a, a, a close relationship with that person. That is one way of an escape response. Another uh, a way in which we respond to conflict is that um, we actually go onto the attack mode. In other words, we start to blame. We blame the other person instead of looking at ourselves, looking at what we are contributing into that relationship. Blame can take on a number of of, uh, ways, and one of them is gossip. Mm. Now, in psychology, we call it triangulation. Nice word. Doesn't sound so bad. It's it's very interesting in all the years that I've worked in pastoral ministry as well as in therapy, in counseling, not once have I ever had someone come to me and say, David, please pray for me. Help me to deal with this one sin in my life that I'm battling to overcome. I've had people that uh, that have asked me to help them with uh, the, the memories of taking someone's life. Um, I've, I've had people that have confessed about breaking up someone's marriage, of stealing stuff that doesn't belong to them. But not once have I ever had anyone ask me the question, please, can you help me to deal with gossip? Hmm. Yeah. Well, Psalm, Psalm 101 verse 5 says, he that speaks the evil of his brother, God will destroy. Wow. So gossip is something, uh, triangulation is a form of an attack response. So we, we gossip or we triangulate seeking to win the other to our side. In other words, not the person really that we want uh, their mind to change, but we turn to a third person and, and we want them to support us against the other. Oh, I see. So it's like if you're in conflict with someone else, but it's just about talking about that with someone else. Exactly. Mm. And you know, the the destructive impact of gossip in marriage is enormous. So I I have conflict with my wife. So I go and talk to my family about, you know, the conflict. And um, they actually build up a resistance then against my spouse. And uh, my spouse and I have already sorted things out. But the conflict stays with the family. That's my um, my sister says this thing I really like. She told me this one time. Um, how'd she explain it? That she she said to someone, or maybe someone said about I don't I don't remember. But it was basically the idea that your name will always be safe in my mouth. So it's like I mm. will never speak about you in ways that Wonderful. you have to worry. And I was like, oh, that's powerful because as you said, often that doesn't happen. Like that's right. Yeah. 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 Now, in a worst scenario of the attack responses, we go into assault, litigation, and eventually murder. Mm. 
That is the two spectrums in which we um, our responses to conflict often is. On the one hand, the worst case scenario is suicide, which is the ultimate form of withdrawal, of running away. On the other side, it is murder, killing someone else. In between are other unhealthy ways in which we, on a daily basis, deal with conflict in our relationships with each other. Mm. Now, Sad as it is, uh, I don't want to end there today. I want to end on a positive because God actually brings for us a greater opportunity. I'm going to, if your listeners want to quickly jot this down, I'm going to give them four G's of peacemaking response. We're going to quickly unpack them. The first one is to go to a higher ground. First one, go to higher ground. Second one, get real about yourself. The third one is gently engage others. And the fourth one is get together on lasting solutions. I know that our time is very limited. Just very briefly on the first one, go to a higher ground. Uh, God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, his word says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I'm, I'm in a marital conflict situation. I'm just using this as a scenario because I regularly deal with couples in conflict. Um, and, and so often, two people that committed themselves to each other, that had promised that they will love each other till death do us part, are ready to be the enforcer of their death. Mm. If they could only take a pause, take a breather, and ask themselves the question, how can I allow God to be glorified in this conflict? Yeah. So in other words... Instead of engaging with a person that stands opposite me, I actually engage with God and I ask, how can I be the best representative for God at this moment in this conflict situation? Now, that's not easy in the heat of the moment. And therefore, a person needs to be in control of himself. The second G is get real about yourself. Matthew 7.15 says, you hypocrites, the message translation says, your play actor, presenters, uh, first get the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, in the second response, instead of looking at the fault of the person in front of me, I first after connecting with God, after asking how can God be glorified in this conflict situation, I first turn my eyes inward and say, what is the desires of my own heart that is so much alive that I can't hear what the person in front of me is really trying to say? And then the third one is to gently engage others. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if, everyone, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who is spiritual, spiritual um, are to restore such a person in the spirit of gentleness, not 
with a sense of superiority of self-righteousness, keeping a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Just recently I sat with a, a, a couple in marital crisis already living in separate bedrooms, and I asked them the question, how quick are you to respond? They both started to laugh because while the other is still halfway in the sentence, they are already ready with their response. <laughs> yeah. In other words, they've not heard the full thing that their spouse is trying to say to them. So not before I fully heard them out and asked questions for clarification so that I can fully understand where they are at in, in their own life. Am I really ready to respond? In other words, to gently engage is in actual fact taking a step forward, turning around so that I can look with that person at the issue at stake from their perspective before I even respond. And then the, uh, the, the fourth point is get together on lasting solutions. And here I've got a text as well, Matthew 23, 24. It says, so if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and while there you remember that you, your brother has something against you, leave your offering there at the altar and go first make peace. I so often ask uh, people that are in conflict, are you wanting to win this argument or are you interested really in peacemaking? Because if I'm really interested in peacemaking, I will actually look for solutions, not just for myself, but especially I would look for opportunities to fulfill the desire of, of my spouse or the person that stands in front of me. So there you have the four Peacemaking responses, going to higher ground. In other words, how can God be glorified through this? Secondly, get real about myself. What is it in my own life that actually can spark this fire? Thirdly, gently engage the other person. What are they really, what is their desire? What is the outcome that they really desire? And lastly, get together on lasting solutions. Look for solutions that will not only benefit yourself, but also will benefit the other person as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Um, that's all we have time for. But I thought it was really interesting having those four Gs for peacemaking. Someone said to me that um, being a peaceful person means having the power to do great harm and choosing not to. So, yeah, it's a bit intentional. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.